Guitarathon is the greatest guitar sale on earth, and it's happening now. Get massive savings on a huge selection of electric and acoustic guitars, basses, amps, pedals, and other accessories. Save up to $450 on a Gibson Les Paul Studio Deluxe, up to $900 on a Gibson Les Paul Trad Pro 4, or save up to 20% on other select Gibson guitars. Plus, get special financing on select major brands. Don't miss these incredible deals. Available online and in store now through November 1st. Guitarathon, only at Guitar Center. Find your sound. Enjoy the summer weather at Asda this weekend with our top deals on beer, like three for £20 on 12 packs of Foster's, Carlin and Budweiser. Asda, save money, live better. British summer sunshine subject to availability with risk of occasional showers or cloud cover. Max six per customer, selected stores, subject to availability, individually £8. And sports of July, drink aware, unavailable in Scotland. Wade, it opens wide for Wade. Whoa, Hello and welcome to the Heat Check. My name is Wes Goldberg. Joining me on the other line as always, it's David Ramil. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. I don't know if I can match your level of enthusiasm, but I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm excited because we get to talk about Dwayne Wade, my favorite player. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, he's absolutely still a very good player. And I think a lot of Heat fans feel the same way. I think a lot a younger generation, perhaps, identify the Heat most closely with Dwayne Wade. So I can, I can see that. So this is going to be the fourth part in our position um, preview study thingy that we're doing uh, for the offseason. Free agency starts in just a few days on July 1. Uh, recording this on June 28th, so we got a couple days before Wade hits the open market, so to speak, but it seems like it's going to be um, a shoe-in that he resigns with the Heat, but we'll get we'll probably get to that later, because we do want to talk about free agency in general a little bit here. With Kevin Durant uh, ready to be a free agent and make his decision, the Heat do have a meeting with Durant, and Bill Simmons came out with an interesting post on The Ringer today about how he views Pat Riley and just kind of Riley's mystique and, and the way he's viewed in the league. And we just want to talk a little bit about that. I know you read the, the article, right, David? Yeah, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it was interesting seeing a couple of days ago, obviously, with, with about a week left before free agency and, you know, Yahoo Sports, the verticals, Adrian Wojnarowski reports that Kevin Durant, you know, of whom 30 teams would probably love to sign as a free agent, uh, has agreed to six meetings, and one of those six teams that he's going to be meeting with is Miami, amongst you know, Oklahoma City, clearly the the favorite, I think, in this race, but the Clippers, not the Lakers, the Clippers, Boston, San Antonio, and Golden State, along with Miami. So that was a, a pretty big, bold move there. And, 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 you know, you wonder, a lot of people outside of the Miami market maybe, you know, don't, they see Heat fans kind of, pledge their loyalty to Riley and things of this sort. And, and, you know, you always wonder exactly how Riley is able to get these big free agents in the room. And the Bill Simmons article, although I might not necessarily like Simmons sometimes because he's a little homerish or whatever, he wrote a really interesting, great and insightful piece on, on how Riley is as effective as he is. He started off with a great anecdote that he'd heard once when Kevin Garnett was at the start. I'm sorry, I guess summer in 2007, before he agreed to a trade to the Boston Celtics, and he was at this crux of his career in Minnesota, where he had wasted a number of his, you know, the best years of his career there, and he was kind of thinking, you know, what to do next. And he's running along the beach, 
walking alongside his wife, I think, at the on the beach in in Malibu, I believe. And then he hears from out of nowhere, Kevin, Kevin, and and it's Pat Riley calling from his beach house, of all the places where you could probably be running next to, and there and there's Pat Riley, noticing Kevin Garnett right there walking along the beachside, and he and he joins him and he talks to him for a good you know hour or two, and it's a real heartfelt conversation on you know where you are at this career, what you have to do next, you know being able to connect with him on a very personal level, and I think we've heard. A lot of anecdotes like that throughout the years about how Riley has this mystique. And that's cliche because it's it's kind of glossed over that he has this larger-than-life personality. But it's also the nuts and bolts of it, the, the day-to-day minutia that he knows so well. And I remember reading – or sorry, rather listening. I think you and I talked about it before in a podcast with the new general manager of the Brooklyn Nets, Sean Marks, talking about what made Riley stand out of all the people that he's dealt with over the course of his career is that Riley knew – his kids, his wife, his their names, their birthdays, their interests. You know, if they were playing a soccer game last Tuesday, he asked what the score was and things of this sort. And it's like Riley really makes the personal experience greater than a lot of other GMs and, and executives around the league. And that's why he's able to connect with these guys, even after being so far removed from coaching and things of this sort. And, and you know, it was very interesting to see Simmons, who, you know, begrudgingly admits that Riley is great at what he does, but it's just you can't. You have to. You have no choice but to tip your cat at somebody who's as effective as Riley's been over the course of his career. And Simmons has kind of been ringing that uh, the Durant to Miami bell for a little bit here. Um, I think maybe as a Celtics fan, he's just naturally mm-hmm. pessimistic and weary of Pat Riley in the Miami Heat. Uh, I mean, everybody remembers when when the Heat drafted Justice Winslow and Simmons was on the draft, right? And he just kind of threw his hands up and just couldn't believe that Justice Winslow fell to the Heat. And uh, so he's all, he's naturally just kind of weary of the heat, I think, in general. And so I know on his podcast and just in his writing every once in a while, he will say, don't count Pat Riley out for Durant, especially on his podcast. He said it a few different times. But um, it's interesting that he went with the full-length article on this. And I think, you know, you mentioned the Garnett thing, and that anecdote is super interesting and just how riley is regarded it's not just the nine rings that he throws on the table right it's everybody always talks oh he just dumps the rings on the table let's see if that works this time it's more than that uh players i guess feel comfortable with him they trust him with their futures which is essentially what these meetings are all about like i'm the guy to guide you like this is let me let me you know shepherd you to a brighter future to the hall of fame like i've done it nine times that's why i'm going to throw this bag of rings on the table but also you can trust me um, yeah, it was very interesting. Like you know, and Simmons points this out that you know to his detriment, he helped Garnett choose to to you know, allow a trade. You know that he was wasting his time basically in Minnesota, and so he he made the decision to allow the trade to Boston, and you know, obviously he won a championship and cemented his place in the Hall of Fame at some point. You know he had a great career, but up to that point, he had always been knocked for not being able to win it all and not being able to advance in the playoffs. And he, he led a great team in Boston that was able to make it to the finals and, and even later on compete with Miami during the Big Three era. So it's it's all about making the players feel comfortable, getting them to maximize their careers in some ways. And I think Riley really sees himself as being able to to give players that opportunity they might not be able to get elsewhere. And that's a big selling point, you know, especially when you look at Durant. You know, his career has been great. He's established his well-earned reputation of being a good person off the court, a loyal teammate, a loyal player to the organization. 
Uh, he speaks very highly of the people of Oklahoma City. He's been there in a number, a numbers of you know charitable functions and things of this sort. But there's something missing from his NBA resume, and that's something that Riley and the Heat might be able to provide. And I'm sure that will probably be the center of their pitch. It also reminded me a little bit about last summer when Riley uh, reportedly talked with Lamarcus Aldridge and basically right. talked Aldridge into signing with the Spurs, leaving <laughs> Portland, signing with the Spurs, and that was kind of interesting. Right. Uh, I guess when if you have a reputation where you're just going to talk players into what's really best for them, then when you actually say, no, what's best for you is signing with the Heat, maybe they believe you because they say, well, you kind of talked Carnett into getting traded to Boston. You talked LaMarcus Aldridge directly or indirectly into signing with the Spurs. Like I, you kind of, And both of those things worked out. So, you know, maybe... Maybe I'm going to trust you with this. Maybe let's see what you got. You know, if you say that bet, the best thing for me is signing with the Heat, not the Spurs, or re-signing with the Thunder, or whatever it's going to be, you know, I trust you. But um, anyway, so after reading that story, I think you and I were already pessimists, as most people, and I think most people with common sense, don't think that the Heat are going to sign Durant. Like, when push comes to shove, great, they got a meeting. Yes, you can never really count Pat Riley out. But there's no way it happens. The salary cap thing is too much of a, is too much of an albatross. There's too much going on. The Thunder are too good. The Warriors and the Spurs are sitting there as better contenders um, and better teams overall. After reading that story, though, and I don't think that Simmons really he didn't divulge any inside information of what's really going to happen. It was right, really just right. an opinion based on how he feels about Pat Riley. But it is interesting. The, the points he makes is interesting. Do you feel like the Heat? Do you feel like that he'd have a better chance than maybe you thought before you read that article? I don't know. I, I would have given it pretty much the same. It, it was, you know, again, a lot of insight into what makes Riley so effective and how he's able to connect with these guys at a very personal level. Um, we well, always knew that was the case. Let me ask you this then. Do you think that, where do you see, that you, you listed the teams that have a meeting with Durant. Where do you kind of place the heat if you were going to bet, like odds-wise? Um, I'd say they have the third best chance behind Oklahoma City and Golden State. Above the Spurs. I do. I think so. I think I think the Spurs are a great option, but I don't necessarily see them being a better option than Miami. I mean, Kawhi is certainly at the peak of his career. He's probably going to get better if nothing else. But there's some duplicity, you know, duplication there in what they can do. Um, LaMarcus is still young enough, but you know, you've got the older regime, a new um, you know, Duncan, Tony Parker's not getting it better. In fact, he's, he's probably degraded somewhat. And and so I think, you know, Pop is still a very good coach. So maybe he's a, he's a convincing force. And I mean, yeah, there's a stability there. But I wonder if they are able to sell the next phase of the Spurs franchise as well as Miami can. I'm not I'm not quite sure. I think I, I like Miami's chances better, to be honest with you. Maybe maybe if anything, there's it's a close tie between the Spurs and, and Miami with Miami getting just the edge because of the youth of the team, specifically Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow. So we're going to talk a little bit about Miami shooting guards and how free agency is going to impact everything like that. But free agency, like I said, starts in a few days. Durant is the big name. We've talked about Hassan Whiteside on the center podcast. So if you, if you know, you haven't seen that, heard that, go check that out. Um, we've already done power forward. We've done small forward. We're going to do shooting guard, and then the next one will be point guard. So we'll get all of these done by the time free agency starts. But nothing's really changed so much yet as far as free agents have gone, and, and um, as far as center, power forward, and small forward go, right? Like, there's nothing major that we missed. I'm, I'm asking you because I'm not sure if I missed something. 
No, I, I don't think there's been any Nothing kind of need to rehash, right? No, no major changes or anything like that. I think maybe I've seen, I saw. A re, I mean, I don't even know if I would call it a report more than just a tweet, maybe. And I'm trying to think where exactly where it was. And clearly, not a sourced information or anything like that. But somebody hinting at the possibility that Luol Deng might get close to or north of $15 million a year, which I think you and I both talked about as being way too much for somebody at this point in his career, but um, we're not quite sure. Things could change dramatically. And that's, you know, the other thing yeah. we thought, was, Bill, I don't think we talked about um, the Mavericks probably getting a, getting a meeting, most likely, with uh, Hassan Whiteside. Did we talk yeah, about I don't. I don't think we talked about Whiteside's potential options. I think it's been limited to, what, the Lakers, Portland, Dallas. I don't think, I don't think it's been as clear as what you know, Durant's camp has reported. You know, and again, that's all rumored. You know, that's all. Even last year, when Lamarcus Aldridge was meeting with certain teams, he met with the Knicks. He met with, or did he? Yeah, he did meet with the Knicks, right? I, I believe he did. Yeah. Yes. But he met with the Lakers twice, and that was a debacle the first time. And he kind of helped them save face by giving them a second meeting, although he clearly had no intention. Um, he met with Phoenix, and then somehow at the last minute, Riley swooped in there and was able to get a face-to-face lunch meeting with him. And that's, you know, that, again, part of what Riley does so well. Apparently he was really close to signing with Phoenix. Right, yeah. right. And then and, and that's when Riley kind of swooped in, and that's what he did. He, he convinced him, instead of signing with Phoenix, going with a team that gives him the best chance of winning and, and establishing a, a true legacy, and that's why he wound up choosing the Spurs. So I guess another team could theoretically come into the Durant sweepstakes, maybe somebody like the Lakers or possibly the Knicks. I know those are the two teams that are most closely on the outside that think they have the best chance of doing so. You know, the Knicks acquired Derrick Rose. They've got their alleged big three with Kristaps Porzingis and Carmelo Anthony. Maybe they could make an appeal for Durant as well. Uh, it's, it's interesting odd, though. the Wizards are on the outside yeah. of Durant, that they're not, even, they're not even in the conversation right now. So yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, we talked about it before, I think, you know, that, that for all that we, everybody had thought that Durant might entertain an, a possibility of going to Washington, you know, he had left that area at one point to go pursue a collegiate career in Texas. So he's already left Washington once, and he, I guess he just had no cho- you know, no interest in going back to the Wizards organization that looks like they're very far off as far as their development is concerned. I really don't like the whole narrative of basically players might want to return home, especially if they're stars. Like, if they have the sure. choice, they want to return home. Just because LeBron did it, I mean, is there another big star, like LeBron Durant level, that just made a big fuss about going home? No, I don't think it's, so. And, you know, at the end of a career, like yeah, maybe players go back home to their family, kind of at the, the twilight of their career. I mean, that's happened, but nothing like. And all of a sudden, LeBron does it, and all of a sudden, we think like Durant must want to go back to Washington. But like you said, he left Washington. If it was up to LeBron, he would have attended Ohio State, right? For he right. said as much. Yeah, he it's... played for the Buckeyes in college. Like LeBron was going to stay in Ohio, so yeah, I I agree. We don't really need to rehash that. Um, what does what does scare me a little bit about this whole Durant sweepstakes with with the Heat getting a meeting now, is how does that look to Whiteside? Okay, Every, Whiteside knew that the Heat were going to want to chase Durant. That he knew that in his heart of hearts. But to see the report, the Heat have a meeting with with Durant after Pat Riley just said in the post game press or the the postseason press conference, Whiteside's our top priority. I wonder how that rubs him, if it rubs him at all, if he even cares, if he thinks that it's awesome because there's an there's an opportunity to maybe play with KD. Or if he's like, wait, no, I thought I was your top priority, what, and you're going to go meet with KD. Like, clearly, that's your top priority. Or um, what really what really kind of scares me with this is when the Heat are chasing Durant, and they will be chasing Durant, the Mavericks coming in, Mark Cuban coming in, swooping in and saying, 
they're chasing Durant. Like all these guys are chasing Durant, and basically, and basically, Cuban could do the same thing he did to Houston when Houston was chasing an All Star. What was it? Uh, the year they were chasing Dwight Howard. I can't really remember when right. when Chandler Parsons left for a big contract when he left Houston, and Dallas swooped in and got Chandler Parsons. I'm worried about that happening with Whiteside. Basically, you know, par- like Cuban's just going to let the big dogs play, and then he's going to swoop in and take the second or third best free agent on the market before the Durant dust settles, that's what I'm worried about. I think that's always the fine line, that the, the, the delicate balance that Riley and the front office has to maintain. And I think, you know, you'll probably have a few different members of the front office making phone calls simultaneously once teams can reach out to free agents at 12-1. And that's, you know, first phone call probably goes to Whiteside with a simultaneous phone call to D. Wade and his agent, and then probably last uh, a call to Durant, because at this point he's already got meetings or meetings will be scheduled, so you just want to get in the door and kind of cement something and figure out a little bit more about how to prepare whatever presentation they plan on making. But I think he has to, even if it's just for the sake of, of you know saving face, he has to go and, and, and call Whiteside first, because he did say, he did put himself out there and say that Whiteside was their top priority, so you have to make him your first phone call. So I would imagine that's probably the first person he'll reach out to. And it it probably should be Riley directly. I think in in past seasons, I think last summer even, I remember reading something that, you know, Nick Harrison was calling D. Wade while Riley was calling somebody else. And I can't remember who it was that they reached out to. It might have been Aldridge. It might have been somebody else. But, you know, Wade's been so firmly a piece of this franchise for so long that I figure you can probably – he doesn't necessarily need to go through the same hoops that he needs to go through Whiteside. And that's if there's a concern about Whiteside going anywhere else. And I know that a lot of fans don't like being critical of Whiteside, but it's clear that he still likes being catered to, that he still likes being the center of attention, um, and that he still wants to be coveted because he was so overlooked by for so many teams for so many years. And so you know, and, and this opportunity, his, his first real opportunity to be courted at a free agent level for a huge contract. You know he's going to get a lot of money from somewhere. So clearly Riley has to go out of his way to make Whiteside feel comfortable if he thinks that he can, you know, if he wants to bring him back on board, which that seems to be the case. So let's move on to the shooting guard position preview. But first, before we do that, Woj Bomb, this just in, got a Twitter alert. Miami finalizing a contract extension with two-time championship coach, Eric Spolstra. Nice. The spoaching tree continues. Um, so there we go. That's a little bit of news. And then uh, as we were talking about Dwayne Wade, Brian Windhorst, and this will be not as new news to the listeners, but Brian, Wade, Brian Windhorst reported, Wade's initial contract discussions with the franchise that drafted him in 2003 have not produced a common ground between the parties. Wade's representatives have made it known to multiple teams over the last several days that he will be on the market. That's Brian Windhorst of ESPN.com. This automatically reminds me of last summer. Um, There was a a genuine fear last summer that the Heat were going to lose Dwayne Wade. And I remember that there was a genuine fear in 2010 that the Heat were going to lose Dwayne Wade as well. And I think this just happens when somebody is business savvy, and this is just my gut initial reaction, I this is as much as I've read about it as Brian Windhorst's uh, report here, but my gut initial reaction is, this is Wade, a savvy businessman doing business. I He's expressed that he wants to stay in, with the Heat. He expressed he wants to stay with Miami. I think that he's playing his cards correctly. 
it's it's not Wade saying that. It's his quote-unquote representatives, right? So uh, that sounds like an agent to me, maybe trying to get as much money from his from his client's contract as possible. So I don't know how fair that report is. But as much as you don't want to see something like that, because like you were just saying, everything we've heard has been, no, Wade and the Heat, they're good. Like last summer was that weird summer where he really wanted to get one last big $20 million contract. Like he's he's good. Like let's just sign him long term and call it a day. It a little bit of friction is definitely worrisome, but I'm not that worried about it. What do you think about the report, David? I, I just don't like him. You know, at this point in his career, trying to jockey for more money. I think I think this is part of the game. I understand the the business aspect that the fans generally dislike. Um, you know, he's jockeying for position. He's kind of flirting with other teams openly, the way he did in 2010 and 2014. 2015 you know we, we've been down this road with Dwayne Wade before and it's just it feels it feels to me and I hate saying it but it feels a little petty and that he's just you know he has to have it known at, you know or has to have it leaked somewhere that he's he's listening to offers from other teams when if it's just in his heart of hearts that he wants to resign with Miami just cut the crap talk to Riley tell him what you want and get it done rather than you know, having to flirt with other teams and and, and get a, a sweeter, bigger deal somewhere. So I, I ultimately feel that Dwayne Wade will probably wind up finishing his career in Miami um, and, and not going anywhere else in the process. But if, if that's the case, then why go through this yearly routine of, of, of meeting with other teams or listening to offers from other teams? And then there's also the possibility that Windhorse has no idea what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> there's always that. Um, he doesn't know what sliding into DMs means, so this doesn't surprise me. Um so I did kind of want to talk about this even before that report um, surfaced as we're recording, but the idea like Dirk Nowitzki, right? He's going to opt out, but the idea right. of him leaving Dallas is pretty far-fetched. Like, it just doesn't seem realistic. It seems like he's, you know, his heart's in Dallas. He's going to resign with the Mavs. Tim Duncan, very similar. Um, and he actually, as we're recording, there was a report that he's going to opt out, I think. Or maybe I read that wrong. I'm not sure. I think he's opting in, actually. He's opting in, okay. So it's opt, opt something. Um, so he's opting in. He famously takes less money to play with Spurs and, and, and facilitate some roster movement around him. Dwayne Wade took his $20 million contract last year, which was fine, and that, became, that came so late in the free agency process that they didn't really hinder what the Heat were going to be able to do. But I think there is, there, it's wrong for Heat fans... To, to try to decide what somebody should do with their financial you know future and everything like that and what they should do with mm-hmm. their lives. But I think there is like a deep-seated you know yearning for Wade to just be one of those heroic figures that just takes like $8 million a season just to stay in Miami and facilitate enough roster movement and not be Kobe Bryant and demand the most money. And as much as Kobe is in the right to just take what he can and... and Take any and use any earning power that he has to make as much money as he wants, and that's all fine. I do think that fans do expect that, and when you see somebody like, like I said, like Dirk and Duncan and guys like that doing, guys doing that just to be in their home, their hometown team or whatever it is, like the team that they grew up with in the league. I I just don't see Wade doing that. Maybe maybe a little bit. You know, he did take a discount, but that was when LeBron and Bosh were on the team and they were winning championships. With the future being as uncertain as it is, I don't know if Wade's going to do that. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody really knows. I mean, yeah. it's it's a dance and it's a, an uncomfortable one to watch from this perspective because you you like you said, you want way to take that hometown discount and to give the Heat the financial flexibility they need to continue to build a title contender, which would think you everybody would think that that's the ultimate goal. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not for Wade at this point. He's got his three rings. He's had a Hall of Fame career. He's arguably the top, you know, three one well, among the top three shooting guards of all time, the top fifty player, perhaps. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's all about trying to get as much money as he possibly can at this point because he doesn't think winning a title is realistic. They've talked before about how 2014 and the grind of competing for a title was too much and very difficult for them to handle, and then caused strain on. The individuals in the team at large and so maybe he's just not really willing and that's that's typical to swallow right i mean you don't want to hear that i saw the way that he performed in the first two rounds of the playoffs and he gave it all he wanted to keep playing i wonder if that little taste of the playoffs after missing the playoffs the season prior may have reignited that flame saying like no i still got it like i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot more threes and we'll talk about that in a second but you know, I'm, I'm st- I still got it. I want to try to make a couple more runs and at least play LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals. I want to play my buddy LeBron and, and compete in that way. I don't know. I, obviously, it's impossible for us to tell what Wade's going to do. Even if he needs to do that, uh, I think to sign Durant, obviously he would need to take less money, right? Uh, we've talked about the possibility of signing Durant and how that might mean moving on from Hassan Whiteside or trading Goran Dragic to make some cap room, but I think the caveat of Durant signing in Miami is that Whiteside and Dragic, guys like that, are in place for Durant to play with. Um, so if it seems clear that the Heat are going to sign Durant, maybe Wade does take $8 million a year in order to facilitate that kind of roster move and to play with KD and to, and to you know, work towards another maybe another championship run. But if, not- if Durant doesn't sign and the Heat don't have any other moves on the, on, on the table, maybe he's like... Well, just give me the money, much like they did last season, last offseason. Reading a, I'm reading a quote from earlier this season, I guess, in reference to last year's free agency, where Wade said, quote, the whole free agency thing, I didn't want to be in it last summer. I don't want it to, I don't want to be in it this summer. I don't want to be in the market at all. I'm not curious at all. I want to get to it with the heat. I want to be able to sign my deal and move on and not have to deal with any rumors, any free agency, any this, any that. This is where I want to end my career, so we'll figure it out. That seems to completely contradict what Windhorse is reporting. Yeah, and I like and that quote you read obviously was straight from Wade's mouth. This is from representatives, quote unquote representatives, right? So I the first thing I read was that's an agent getting a message out there, trying to get as much money out of his client as he possibly can, as an agent's job is. And I'm not that concerned about it. I'll wait until we see another report. I don't want to. I don't want this to just be a knee jerk podcast. But it is interesting. Like this is what free agents do. I mean, as much as we talk about Dirk, that rumor, there was a rumor for about a week that Dirk was going to sign with the Warriors, that that was a strong possibility. So this isn't, it's not as if Wade's somehow betraying the heat. This is just the way the game is played. And I don't want, I, we shouldn't knee jerk react on it or take it too personally. But uh, I do want to talk a little about Dwayne Wade. If he is in fact re-signing the Miami, which you and I think is going to happen. Uh, most people do think that's what's going to happen. What does he? What does he look like next year? I think that as far as the contract goes, it's going to depend largely what else happens on this roster: Whiteside, Durant, etc. Anybody else? Um, but regardless, just money aside, Dwayne Wade did respond to a fan 
who asked him on Twitter, are you going to shoot more threes? Really, and mentioned how he enjoyed watching him shoot threes in the playoffs. Are you going to shoot more threes next season? Wade said, yes, sir. What, That's an interesting, is that a, yeah. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? I can't see how it's a bad thing. Well, that he's not really good at them. Well, <laughs> I mean, you'd think he'd be smart enough not to continue to jack him. Look, I mean, his career percentage being as low as it is, what is it, 28% or something like that? 28% um, yeah. Yeah, he's he's not he has not historically been a good three point shooter. You'd think if he's gonna take that position to where he can shoot more threes, he's not gonna go out jacking them like you know, like Kobe Bryant towards the end of his career. You know, that I just posted... wanna just point out a couple stats then. All right. Inter- his, he does have an awful, horrid three point percentage for his career. But he did attempt more than two hundred three pointers in three consecutive seasons between two thousand eight and two thousand eleven. And in those three seasons, he shot better than 30% from from three-point range. So it seems like the more he shoots them, the better he is at them. Because this last year, he he shot just 44, the second fewest of his career, and he made 16% of them, (laughs) which is really bad. Uh, In 2013-14, that last year, the big three where he famously just gave up on three-point shooting, he took 32 three-pointers. He made just 28.1%. That's less than even less than his career average of 28.4. So it seems like the more he takes them, and it should be shocking, Wade is somewhat of a rhythm player, a rhythm offensive scorer. Um, yeah. So it shouldn't really come as a surprise that the more he takes, the more he's making. I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg thing. Like, he takes more because he's he's making them at a higher rate, or he's making them at a higher rate because he's essentially practicing taking them more in game situations. I'm not sure which one it is. But he made 12 in the in 14 games in the playoffs this past season he can still shoot it and he even said i think i'm paraphrasing here but i do believe he said after the you know during the playoffs at some point that he, it was almost like a mental barrier he had to come through to re, to start taking those three pointers again and and he did that and he shot it well and in real clutch situations so yeah he's going to take them again so i think if he, he he's not going to be curry right he's not going to be Kyle Korver but if he can shoot at a 30% rate, that's higher than his career clip, and that's a good thing. It'll space out the offense. I think it's good. It's exciting. Yeah. I, I mean, look, the, the game is changing. The three-pointers are a more, more reliable part of the offense now, more than at, at the earliest part of his career. I think he recognizes that. You'd have to be you know, stubborn to, to think otherwise. So, um, you know, we've talked about that in the past, that maybe that's the next step in, in his ability to transition uh, into the, this last phase of his game, he's got the the old man game, the low post game that you know, he's always been able to dominate at, and um, he still has some flashes of athleticism there where he, he really does get to the rim very easily, and and he still can break people down off the dribble. He still has a, an excellent mid range shot, and it's just th- this one last step towards you know possibly making him the a better overall offensive player, and he's already a, a very good player, you know, at this point in his career. So it's just. You know, it's an interesting conundrum. It's an interesting thing to see whether or not he's willing to make that change because, you know, he has been resistant to do so. But now if he's willing to, uh, I think it's nothing but a benefit to Miami and for him, you know, because less wear and tear. Um, and, and if he's connecting them at a, at a decent rate, let's say let's shoot for 32 percent. If he can get okay. somewhere around 32 percent, that would be excellent. I agree. And I, you, you raise an interesting point, the wear and tear, less being in the post less holding onto the ball and taking a beating and double teams and things like that. And this might be a way to prolong his career and, and get the, and get the, I guess, milk it for whatever else he's got. 
Maybe he's been saving up his great three-point shooting for 13 seasons, and, that, and this is his plan all along. Um, but between him and Goran Dragic, who we'll talk about on the next Point Guard podcast, um, if Dragic answers the call and is a better three-point shooter next year, and Wade is shooting threes and being a better three-point shooter next year, that can dramatically impact the offense, and we could see a much different-looking offense next season. But let's quickly talk about Josh Richardson and Gerald Green. Um, we included Josh Richardson in shooting guard. He could he could have gone either way with shooting guard or point guard. So we and Tyler Johnson much the same way. So we just split him up. Josh Richardson on this one. We'll talk about Tyler Johnson on the point guard podcast. But Josh Richardson, he's not going anywhere. He's too good of a deal. They're he aren't going to trade his contract. He's not a free agent, so he's not leaving anywhere. He's in. So as far as the offseason goes, that's it. And I think we'll talk about Josh Richardson this summer quite a bit because he was surprising enough as a rookie. And he's only going to build on that. But um, Josh Richardson, in your eyes, what's his role on the roster next year? He's a solid contributor now. The Heat, as long as Wade and Richardson are there, they're pretty set at shooting guard, right? Absolutely. Um, My question then is, you know, Richardson was able to get his opportunity late in the season because of injuries to Tyler, to Ben Udra, the trading of Mario Chalmers. Uh, You know, a lot had to happen for Richardson to get his opportunity. And as we talked about it before, he was strong enough, committed enough to be able to make the most of that opportunity. So now it's now that he's had a taste of it, how does he feel about possibly having a smaller role? And a lot of that has to do with whether or not Miami is able to re-sign guys like Ben Udra or, or Tyler Johnson, which seems to be the case. Um, but what is clearly going to be his role next year? That's still a lot to, to be determined, I guess. And I mean, clearly a lot of things happen to happen. Um, I think we can talk about Gerald Green as well, that he probably will not be you know, brought back by Miami. And maybe that's a choice made easier because of the emergence of Josh Richardson, who you know was able to turn into a, a reliable offensive threat, even though he had his, his moments where he wasn't nearly as good as he had been in March and April during the playoffs. You know, and so... Hopefully he'll be able to continue to build that consistency. And, and we saw from him towards the end of the season when he got, uh, I guess, passed over for a rookie, a spot on the all-rookie team, kind of tweet something about, oh, you wonder why I have a chip on my shoulder or something along those lines. So he clearly recognizes that there, that more work needs to be done, and he seems to be willing to do it. You know, we've talked about it on a number of occasions, but that one occasion where he trained with Spolstra and was able to shoot down, you know, I think, was it 70 three-pointers three out of 100? Um, you know, that, that kind of shows, I'm sorry, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Right. It was that, it was, you know, that, that mark that Spolstra set for him that he has a hit 70 of a hundred attempts and he reached it, you know, after trying and trying and trying, he, he, he seems to have that kind of work ethic and dedication. So you hope that he's going to continue to build on that. And it's just a question about whether or not you, you know, he gets more time if he's the first guard off the bench, that seems to be a more realistic option if, if Wade resigns. Um, and, and then that puts into question whether or not. You know, Tyler Johnson gets some minutes, whether or not Udrick gets any minutes at all if he's brought back or if he's just an insurance policy as the third point guard. So there's a lot to think about when it, when, you, when you look at Richardson's future in Miami. And as you alluded to, I mean, the guards are essentially interchangeable. Everybody behind Wade and Dragic are essentially interchangeable. So, um, And then Richardson can even play some three, right? We saw that when the Heat went small. He could play a little bit of small forward. So he's versatile, and the Heat like that. And he's a terrific defender. So he can guard positions three through one. He could even guard, like, small fours, I think, if, like, the other team's going small and maybe using a small forward at power forward. But um, he's certainly going to be one of those chess pieces that Spolstra, who just is about to sign a two-year extension, is going to play with. Uh, And then you mentioned Gerald Green. 
I don't know what to make of him. He might be one of those guys that at the end of free agency, when the Heat are looking to fill out spots, you know, 12 through 15 or whatever it might be, they say, all right, we'll bring you back on a minimum contract. We didn't catch we didn't catch lightning in a bottle last season. Maybe we catch lightning in a bottle this season, meaning every once in a while Green could just go off or have a great year and be a, a terrific three-point shooter and, a, and floor spacer, and then all of a sudden the rest of his game tends to round out, and you can kind of overlook some of his defensive deficiencies and, uh, you know, his ball handling, um, what's the word I'm looking for, wildness, I guess, just this kind of <laughs> weird way of just taking the ball and not really knowing what to do with it. Just one of those guys that just jumps into the water without thinking how cold it is. Just He just goes with the ball, and you don't know really what's going to happen. Um, but maybe he becomes a good three-point shooter again, and uh, maybe the Heat try to go for that. Everything that I'm reading about Gerald Green is that he's a great teammate, that the locker room loves him. He's kind of lively. He's got a good personality. He loves being in Miami and being on that roster, regardless of playing time. So maybe the Heat just say, hey, we know what we got here. He likes. He's a good locker room type guy. Let's just keep him on board. Maybe every once in a while he'll get hot and we can we can ride the hot hand. Maybe he becomes the new James Jones. Who knows? Yeah, I, I got to think that they're probably going to move on from that strategy. And I think you and I talked about it during the the small forward position breakdown when we thought about you know whether or not Lou Deng and Joe Johnson whether or not they fit that typical model of Miami bringing in older free agents that haven't won a championship and might be a little hungry and and you know that fit well when you thought that Bosch was going to be a part of the the lineup or, or you know going to be healthy for all the, the whole season and that Miami might potentially be a title contender although they probably see themselves as title contenders this year maybe they look to the fact that you know Tyler Johnson and others you know Hassan Whiteside clearly um and even a second round pick like Richardson you know were able to thrive and maybe it's about bringing aboard more younger talent and that might be able to thrive and develop here. You know, you've got a good D-League system, a, a great, you know, championship winning team there in, in Sioux Falls. So you wonder whether or not it's probably in Miami's best interest to go the younger route rather than the more traditional veteran way of, of, of signing free agents. I'm glad you mentioned the Sioux Falls Sky Force. The Heat are going to load that thing up. They're already in the process of signing guys for training camp and summer league. And everything like that. So we'll see. And you and I will be in summer league, um, and we're very excited to go. And we'll see these guys in person. We'll definitely report back from there. But for now, we'll wrap up the shooting guard position preview podcast. Next, we'll you'll have the point guard position preview podcast. And this has been the Heat Check. Thank you for listening. You can find us on iTunes, um, on Blog Talk Radio, part of the Hardwood Proxies and Basketball Network. Subscribe, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. What you want, I got what you need. Shorty, what you want, I got what you need. Shorty, what you want, I got what you need. I'm all the way up. I'm all the way up. I'm all the way up. All the way up. Tell me all the way up, Drake. You know you made it when the vacuum mash made it. It's worth millions. Lemonade is a popular drink and it still is. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. 
Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.